Lord Jesus, we bring that as a, a prayer that we would come to worship you, the newborn king. God, you know so many times in our lives we, we get busy, we get distracted, and before we know it, we're not worshiping the king. We're distracted, Lord, so easily. And if we're not careful, instead of worshiping you, we acknowledge you casually. We recognize you. We put you into a box. But this song and the birth of Christ call us to so much more. It calls us, Lord, to worship, to ascribe worth to God. God incarnate, Jesus, the majestic ruler, Emmanuel, God with us. Come, worship. Worship Christ, our true king. God's people said, amen. I invite you to be seated. Teens, it has been so good to have you lead us into worship. In case you're wondering, Tommy is not a teen. Um, one of these things is not like the others. And, you know, uh, but I just love that, that there's adults that have stepped in to help with these teens. And, and you need to know that these teens' hearts are incredible. And um, this isn't just them trying to find something to do. This is, this is them expressing their hearts. And I hope that you saw it here once again today. Well, on the front of your bulletin, it says this. It says, the divine rescue. God sent his son into the world to rescue his people. Most will not want to be rescued, either because they do not know they need to be rescued or because they have come to love their captivity. Have you allowed yourself to be rescued by this amazing Savior? So we're going to look at this divine rescue and I'm going to rescue the kids by releasing them to their teachers through grade four. So if you're uh, someone before grade four, you're free to go to your uh, uh, teachers who are ready for you. And meanwhile, we're going to look at Luke chapter one together. We're going to consider this idea of the divine rescue. As I thought about this idea of rescue and what it means for us, I thought of how many of the different things that we see in our world and in our lives that really declare rescue? And you may or may not be aware, there's a new Star Wars movie out. Anybody aware of that? Okay. And um, I had opportunity to go see it Tuesday night. And it's really, at its core, it's a movie about rescue. Okay, I don't want to do a spoiler for any of you who are looking to, to you know, and I think that's vague enough that you're okay. Um, if you want details, come see me afterwards. But, um, but this idea of rescue, and I, I started thinking about how many different movies and stories that we read and things that we've heard talk about this idea of rescue. And I think when we consider the author of Ecclesiastes and how he said that God has placed eternity in our hearts. We live in this world where eternity is hard to see. And I think for many of us, 
We long to be rescued. And so we make up heroes and we make up stories and we make up people who can, who can rescue and, and we can step into that. But I'd like to say as we, as we move past Christmas, and hasn't it been a great Advent season as we've looked at each of the candles, finally lighting the candle of Christ, the light that's come into the world, and, and as we turn from that, yet to keep that fresh within us. In the first service I said, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting how quickly our future becomes our history and, and how quickly the things that we're anticipating become things that have actually happened. And I mentioned how 363 years from now, or 363 days from now, it'll be Christmas again. And somebody came up to me in between the services and pointed out that next, week, next year is a leap year. So there's 364 days until Christmas. So, um, and isn't what will you do with the extra day that you have next year? Right? That's always fun to think about. Just a sidebar here, okay? You're going to be given an extra day next year. What are you going to do with that extra day? It's kind of like if somebody comes up and hands you a $10 bill and you're thinking, wow, I wasn't expecting this. What will I do with it? I'll spend it on myself or, you know, well, okay, so, boy, I have no idea where that came from. All right. <laughs> so, this idea of, of moving in and considering what is the divine rescue. And our text for today, it, it comes from Luke chapter 1, and it's the prayer of Zechariah, the prayer of Zechariah, the song of Zechariah. Before we step into that, I want, I want us to just consider this, and we talked a little bit about it last week, how Zechariah was confronted and visited by an angel as he was in the temple offering incense, and, and the angel came and spoke a prophetic word over him that he would have a child, he and Elizabeth, even though they were far along in years, and, and Zechariah struggled with that concept, and we can understand that, and, and so The angel said to him, because of this, you will be silent until the child is born. Now, we're not told exactly how long that is. Could have been nine months, ten months, eight months, somewhere. But there was this period of time where Zechariah was not able to speak. And I've wondered to myself, what would it have been like to be Zechariah in that period of time? Henry Nouwen says that silence allows the oven to cook. It keeps the door shut. Isn't that a great way of looking at that? That silence keeps the door shut so that the oven can cook. And I think Zechariah, I believe with all my heart, I don't know, perhaps sometimes we read too much into Scripture. I don't think God minds that as long as we're careful with it. But I think Zechariah was a man who loved the Lord. He was a priest, and he was in there doing the offerings. He would have had himself purified and cleansed as he went in. He was a man who loved the Lord, I believe. And the Lord loved him. You get that? The Lord loves you. And the Lord loved him. And so I believe that this this was an opportunity that God had given Zechariah to spend time getting to know him more intimately. Because truth is, many times as I'm in conversation, the things I have to say are so important 
And so many times as a person's talking, I'm already thinking of what I'm going to say before they even finish their sentence. And I'm not giving them all the attention they deserve. Am I the only one who does that? Liars. Okay, so. (laughs) And we do that. But silence, you see, allows us to listen better to other people and to God. And I believe that's what Zechariah learned. He learned in a new way to listen to God. Now, the reason that I think that perhaps happens is because immediately when his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, he began to speak praising God. It wasn't like the first thing out of his mouth was, really, nine months without talking? No, it was this amazing praise to God. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied in this amazing song that's called the Benedictus. Because it starts as a blessing. It's, it's not that way in our NIV, but... But it's actually, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Blessed be. And so the first things out of his mouth after this period of silence, allowing the oven to cook, was an unbelievable praise to the Lord and a prophecy that allows us to see what it means for God to launch the divine rescue plan. The text, Luke chapter 1. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. You pray with me, please. Father, God, as we look into this word, thank you for preserving it for us. Thank you for, Lord, having it here for us, inspiring it for us. Thank you for this word of prophecy spoken through Zechariah. I pray, Lord, that today that word would speak into our lives. Each one of us, Lord, has something to learn from from encountering your text today. Take the clutter from our minds, please, Lord, the distractions that would keep us from hearing from you. Speak into our lives that we can go away from here changed. More the people that you have designed for us to be. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. The text comes alive for us, I believe, when we stop to think that it is talking about the divine rescue. And that 
The birth of Jesus launches the greatest rescue mission of all time. The greatest mission, mission of rescue of all time. And the first thing we see in, in this unbelievable song of Zechariah is that rescue's needed. The front of the bulletin says, you know, maybe people don't even know they need to be rescued or they don't want to be rescued. But this, this text and so many others in Scripture tell us that, yes, rescue is needed. We must be rescued, and we're unable to do that ourselves. The Scriptures that talk to that here, he has redeemed his people. He's the God of Israel, and he has redeemed his people. Salvation from our enemies and the, the hand of all who hate us to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, the, the knowledge of salvation that comes through the forgiveness of sin. What's amazing about this prophetic word that comes through Zechariah is that it's spoken in the past tense. I love that. I love that as the prophetic word is spoken, it's spoken in the past tense. We are so sure that it's going to happen that it can be spoken about as if it already has. That's how confident we can be in the promises of God. Amen, John. And so as we stop and we think about that and, and we realize that, that God reveals to us that we need to be rescued. Three times in this passage, it says salvation is needed. We need salvation. We need to be saved. And it's needed. And, and it's from our enemies, from those who hate us is what Zechariah says as he's talking to this people of Israel. From the enemies and the people who hate us. We understand from the history of Israel, chosen people, called out by God, chosen by him for a specific purpose, the purpose of having the Messiah come into the world. And then beyond that, the purpose that he has for this nation that he has called out. But because he's called them out, and because they're special, they're hated. And they have enemies. And as we read the Old Testament and we reread the accounts of the enemies of this nation of Israel and, and they stack up, they're, they're, there's the, the Egyptians and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Moabites and the Philistines and the Canaanites and, the, and they're just all these enemies that stand against them constantly. And then we move into the Assyrians and the, and the Babylonians, the the, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, all of these enemies of this nation of people called by God, chosen by him to reveal him to the world. And so many times the enemies around them became so overwhelming that they just cried out to God, rescue us from the hand of our enemies, from those who hate us. So many passages cry out to that. And then we read and we see all the times that even when the enemies weren't standing against them, that they'd become their own enemies by following their own desires and moving away from God. Rescue's needed. Just as with the first advent and the nation of Israel was looking for the promised Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one who would come and bring salvation and bring healing and bring, bring all of the things that the Old Testament had promised and looked forward to. Rescue, redemption, salvation. 
In the same way, we look forward to that as well. In the second advent, that he will bring that complete restoration that he has promised. Rescue is needed. We see that rescue reveals the mercy of God. Twice in our passage, it talks about how God shows his mercy because of the tender mercy of our God. You see, we don't deserve to be rescued because we chose the place that we're in by our sin. But because of his mercy, he reaches in to rescue us from our enemies, from those who hate us. So what are your enemies? Who are your enemies? Who are the things that hate you? What are those things in your life? Can you identify the things that are your enemies that you need to be rescued from? How many times are we tempted to put a different face on our enemy? See, we all have a common enemy, don't we? We have the one who hates our soul, Satan, just absolutely hates us. He's our enemy. And so many times he'll put the face of somebody else there and we'll blame somebody else for the pain or the anguish or the things that we're feeling. Then the next thing you know, we're, we're, we're joining in with him. So what are the enemies in your life? And realize that, that this greatest rescue mission of all time is here because you need to be rescued. The second thing we see in this, in this song of Zechariah is that rescue has been promised The nation of Israel are a people of the promise. They have been given the promises of God. Blessed be to the Lord, the God of Israel. He is our God. And he has promised great things. He said through his holy prophets long ago. He has come and he's raised up a horn in the house of his servant, David. The king that, that was a man after his own heart and that he promised that there would be another who would come and sit on that throne and Zechariah saying, it's happened. This one has been raised. To remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to the father, Ab- the father Abraham. See, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation and there was a covenant that was made with him a covenant that his name would be great. Genesis chapter 12 reveals the the first uh, part of that covenant. Genesis chapter 12, when God comes to Abraham and he says this, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Absolutely a promise of God. There would be a great nation. Now understand that Abraham doesn't even have a child at this point, and yet God's telling him, you will become a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. God's stepping into this man's life in a powerful way, and God is making promises, and God is keeping his promises. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
And of course, now we understand this is what that means, is that God would, would choose to have this rescue plan include all of us. I don't know if Zechariah understood that exactly when he was giving this word of prophecy. But looking back now, we could see that that, that promise has extended to us as well. And we see that, that rescue is here because the Lord has come. The Lord has come, God, with us. You see, the rescue comes not with a sword, but with a word. Not with a sword, but with a word. The word was God, and the word was with God. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. The rescue comes through the word of God. This son of the most high who sits on the throne of David. The mission of God has been promised and planned. So what difference does it make to know that God initiated this plan prior to our our knowledge of the need? That God launched this plan. It wasn't like a reaction. This plan was put in place before the foundation of the world. And this promise was made that God would rescue a people Initially, the the nation of Israel, and now we're included in that as well. So rescue's been promised. The next thing we see in this greatest rescue mission of all times is that rescue illuminates the path of peace. I love that. It's at the end of our text. It says, because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This light, this, this light has come into the world, this, this sun, the rising sun, come from heaven, light piercing into the darkness. Isaiah chapter nine is what comes to my mind when I read this text. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Tess tells her story about walking into this slum in the Philippines. And she steps into the filth that's there. And those pictures give us just a small glimpse. And she said, we can't, we can't catch the smells to understand the fullness of the filth, the, the charcoal factory that's constantly burning the smell of charcoal into the air. The river that's really not a river, it's sewage. Then, and maybe you've been to places like that in the world. And, and Tess and her team is wearing boots and the kids are running around in that barefoot. And as she said, they, they'd come up and you'd just hug them. And, and you see, here's the deal. They stepped into that filth. Jesus stepped into the filth of our world. Our king stepped into the filth of our world, but not only did he step into the filth of our world, he took our filth and placed it upon him and hung on the cross with our filth attached to him. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Have you ever stopped to consider what it was like to be Adam and Eve 
Can you imagine Adam and Eve before they sinned walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day? Just, just imagine. Guy, imagine. No sin, no shame, no guilt, and you're just walking with God. Wow. Man, Liz, what, is that, what does that look like? To actually walk with God with no sin, no guilt, and no shame. That had to be one of the most peaceful things that you could possibly do. This path of peace, walking with God, free from all of those things. And then to come to a point in time where, where Adam and Eve looked at the fruit on the tree and said, well, that looks good. I wonder if they, they thought about God. And their walks in the garden in the cool of the day and the, the peace that, that overwhelmed them and, and thought, that's really good, but boy, this fruit, man, that looks good. And then the serpent says, you know, God doesn't want you to have that. Whew, I wonder why not. It must be really good if God doesn't want you to have it because you'll be like him then. Oh, no. With one bite, sin, guilt, shame, peace with God, nope, distant memory. Peace with God was not possible. There was nothing Adam and Eve in themselves could do to bring themselves back into a state of peace with God because sin had come into their lives and had separated them from him. And in that moment, that same curse fell on all of us so that we would be at war with God and we would not have the path of peace available. But God is merciful God is loving, God is kind. At that moment in time, the choice was made by mankind to put ourselves in a place where we needed to be rescued from God. Because you see, sin puts us under the wrath of God. Any sin in our life places us under the wrath of God. So in the most unusual way, what we need to be rescued from is God from his wrath, and so he rescues us from himself by himself. He, he brings himself into the world to rescue us. We need to be rescued from the wrath of God that's poured out on our sin. Our enemy is our sin. Our enemies are those things that we hold on to in our lives that are, that are the things that keep darkness in our lives and keep death in our lives. path of peace can be illuminated for us. So a question for you, a question that I ask every week, have you come to a place in your life where you have trusted Jesus as your Savior? Oh, I pray you have. 
I pray you've come to a place where you've understood that, that the filth in your life, the sin in your life, that filth has separated you from God, has moved you away from, from peace, has moved you away from the peace that God longs to bring into your life. And have you seen that God has taken that filth and placed it on himself and put it on the cross and put it to death? And if you've seen that and if you've recognized it and if you've said, Lord, I understand that the filth is the filth of my sin and I ask that you would forgive me and I repent and I turn from having my life centered around myself and I, I, by your help, I center my life around you and you give your heart to the Lord and he accepts you as his child. That's the divine rescue mission. That's the rescue mission of God. Have you been rescued from your sin and brought into an eternal life with Jesus Christ? At that moment in time, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you are now able to see that path of peace that's illuminated for you. And you're able to start walking differently than you ever could before because you've been made new inside. So a question, how can I know the salvation, forgiveness, and mercy of God in a way that frees me from the shadow of death and the darkness in which I live? How can I grasp and live in the path of peace, this path of knowing God? Our final point that I think we see in this amazing song of Zechariah is that rescue allows us to serve without fear. And I see that it says to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. I love that. All our days. All of our days, we're able to serve him without fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. We're able to serve him without fear. Power comes in releasing control to the one who is in control. Our story of defeat becomes a story of victory. And we're able to serve him without fear with no threat of fear in our lives. Why? Because of the holiness and righteousness which we have before him. You understand, and we've talked about this before, if you come to believe and if you've come to trust Jesus as your savior, you are holy. The righteousness of God has been credited to your account. Lee, when God looks at you, he sees you as holy, righteous. See, we don't have to have fear before the Lord. The, the sin and the guilt and the shame have been atoned for on the cross of Jesus Christ and we can stand and we can walk on this path of peace with him without fear. It's an amazing and powerful truth and we understand this flesh that we have, this flesh isn't holy. This flesh is what we wrestle against and it's what we struggle against. And it's so many times the biggest enemy we have is our flesh because my flesh wants nothing more than to serve myself and my selfish needs and my selfish wants and my selfish desires. And I design what is right for me and my flesh. And it's the enemy that I need to be rescued from moment by moment 
day by day. I need to be rescued from my flesh. Praise God. I have victory in Jesus. And that, I don't live in a story of defeat anymore. I live in a story of victory. I've been rescued, John. I've been rescued. The divine rescue mission, the greatest mission of all times, Jesus has come and rescued me and saved me. Has he rescued you? So the question becomes, what holds me in captivity? What is it that I have not allowed myself to be rescued from? What are the things that I hold on to that that Jesus has come and he said, I've come to rescue you from that, from, from your selfish tendencies, from your depressive tendencies from your from your whatever it is from your your inability to get along with each other your pride your your arrogance your anxiety your whatever it is you see those things god has come to rescue you from those things those are the things of your old nature and amen jesus came to to rescue you from that at the end of the lord of the rings trilogy frodo has been on this mission It's been to to eliminate the ring, the ring that has brought all the pain, all the sorrow, all the anxiety into the world. This ring represents that. And and Frodo has been been given the task of carrying this, and he's he's carried it through three movies. (laughs) And and he's carried it, and and he's brought it. And in each movie, it brings more pain into his life, more hurt, more harm, more, more anxiety, more weariness, more anger is brought, more and more of that. And he finally gets to Mordor, to the, to the fires of Mordor, and all he has to do is open his hand and release it. Everything that's brought him pain in his life, if he opens his hand and releases it, it falls into the fire and it's gone forever. And so in that moment, everybody in the theater is on the edge of their seats as he holds it out, and then he brings it back and he says, my precious, oh, this is so precious to me. This pain, this hurt, this anxiety. I need to hold on to this anger. I need to hold on to this resentment. I, I need to hold on to this unforgiveness. I, I, I need this. It's special to me. I can't turn from this. If I release this, what will I have to hold on to? This is precious to me. And Jesus says, I've come to rescue you from this. Release it. Let it go. Find that I am sufficient. And once you let it go, turn your hands and I'll fill you with my spirit, with my presence. I will give you victory in the places where you've only felt defeat. Are you ready to do that? Oh. Every minute of the day, I need a savior. I need to be rescued from myself. And Jesus is that rescue. Open your hand. Release that thing. Release that bitterness. Release that anger. Release that resentment. Release it, release it. Release that greed. Release that pride. Release that. Let it go. Live in the victory that God has promised for you. Amen. Our teens are going to come and sing a song about our King.
our king who came to rescue us. See, it's, it's not just anybody who came on this rescue mission. It is the king of kings. The king left his throne and came to earth. to rescue us all on his own all on his own and he rescued us at an enormous price and he has made possible for us to have peace with him God thank you thank you for my my Lord Jesus my savior our savior God, I pray as we, as we listen to the teens sing this song, maybe as we join in, Lord, I pray that you'd maybe shut the door of our oven and let us do some business with you. What is it that we need to let go of, Lord, so that we can take hold of you? How can our stories of defeat be turned into stories of victory? Thank you, King Jesus.